Hey, what's good, FGA family? It's Nelly here. I'm out here in Brisbane, Australia. Obviously, we're in the same country because Brisbane is in the same country that you're in. Uh, I'm going to leave this there. I'm not even going to edit it. Uh, but I just wanted to say, hey, you guys are like family to us, FGA Melbourne. It's been a while since I've come to visit you all, but Pastor Chris and Mayen are dear friends of ours, my wife, Tina, and myself, and you know, Pastor Roland, you're, you're a hero of ours, the founding pastor there, FGA, and your family, and just everybody there. Uh, we, we love you all dearly, and we are standing with you as a church, and as a church family, we're standing with you and praying for your church during this time, uh, especially looking at what uh, Melbourne is facing right now in the state of Victoria. Uh, we are praying for you often. We will continue to pray for you. Please do let us know how we can continue to stand with you during this time of uncertainty. And I know, uh, if anything, prophetically, I wanted to just lean in on what God is saying right now, that He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. One of the things that we often miss is the fact that the one who uh, promises us His presence is also the one who has all authority. And we find this in Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, 18 to 20, right? The final words of Jesus to his disciples, according to Matthew. And we're going to talk a little bit about final words in just a moment. But according to Matthew, the final words of Jesus to his disciples in that gospel, in chapter 28, verse 18, is uh, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Speaking of Jesus, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, and I will be with you always. See, it's like a sandwich, right? And I just wanted to say this prophetically before we even kick into the word that I have for you, is that FGA, God is wanting you to lean into the one who, number one, has all authority, Number two, still is on mission and still calls us to make disciples of every nation, not just our own nations of familiarity. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have to figure out how to do that in social distancing. But teaching them to obey. This is the importance of discipleship, is that we teach them how to obey. We teach those whom we mentor and disciple how to obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then he is with us, thirdly always. The one with all the authority is with us always. The one who has all authority needs to be recognized as the one who has all authority. The issue sometimes is, is that us as the church, we sometimes think that we're the ones that carry the authority. No. When he has all the authority and we lean into him, the one who promises us his presence, out of this fruitfulness comes discipleship. Even in a time like this, even in a time of uncertainty. So right at the top of this message, I wanted to pray for you for this. Uh, because I really believe that God wants to do this in and through your church during this season. During this season, right? So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and encourage from your word. We, we understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Father, I thank you that faith is coming today to my FGA family because they are hearing your word beyond my ability to communicate it and teach it. Lord, we want to hear from you today. Lord, that you would come and speak to us and ignite faith in us for all that you have ahead of us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, I'm Nelly Atinga, and so I'm based here at the Senior Pastor of Every Nation Brisbane here in uh, um, 
we've got two locations, right? So we've got one in central Brisbane, uh, right in the city, and then we've got one in Logan. So if you're ever out in Brisbane, um, please do come and hang out with us. We'd, we'd love to have you uh, and we'd love to see you as well. Um, so this is this is what's up. You know, I can't wait for these borders to lift uh, so that I can come and visit you guys as well because, uh, you know, we're standing with you there in Victoria. So today, I mean, I'm continuing in the series that's been already going and where we're uh, observing the life of Peter and just looking at some of the things of uh, the, some of his responses, maybe in in terms of uncertainty uh, that he might face. Uh, I find Peter an interesting character because I find a lot of similarities in the way that we sometimes become susceptible to that disease that, you know, that disease I'm talking about, right? The, the foot and mouth disease that when you go to say something, you wish you could take back those words uh, because your foot often finds its way to your mouth. I know none of you face that, but I'm just sharing transparently right now. Um, there have been moments, there have been moments where my mouth might run ahead uh, of what my intention is. And so we see this a little bit in the, in the Gospels and um, how, for instance, in Matthew 16, I'm reminded when uh, Jesus is, is asking the disciples, who do you say I am? And Jesus says, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the son of David. You're the, you're the promised one, right? And, and Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, for on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? So Peter's kind of, yeah, check it out. Uh, and then Jesus goes on to talk about what's about to happen. Like he's about to lay his life down, uh, and be crucified. And the same Peter that said in recognition of who Jesus was and is, uh, he says, oh, let it not be. Uh, this should never happen to you. And Jesus says to him in that moment of pride and elation, he says, get behind me, Satan. So talk about an ebb and flow. Talk about like this euphoria and all of a sudden this dip. <laughs> talk about flattening out your ego in the space of a couple of verses. Uh, this is Peter, and this is often what we find ourselves facing when we're reading about Peter. Definitely not a perfect disciple, but definitely a prevalent disciple, one that's featured probably the most out of the apostles that we uh, that we read about in the New Testament. And so what I wanted to highlight, actually, uh, comes from the two verses that are in Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. So I just prophesied over your church right now uh, from the last words according to Matthew, from Jesus, what I'm about to say now, what I'm about to talk about now, come from the last words that Jesus said before his ascension in accordance with the gospel of Luke leading into the book of Acts, right? So Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Jesus tells the disciples, it's not for you to know the, the times or the seasons, speaking about when he might return. It's not for you to know this. You don't have the authority to know this. Again, it's speaking of authority, like, the Father is the one who has the authority. But then there's also this revelation of a commission that happens in verse 8. He says, But I will give you the Holy Spirit and power to be my witnesses. Now, witnesses is a key word here because it's something that we're going to lay into or lean into during our time together. But I give you my Holy Spirit and power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I wanted to highlight this verse, okay? Just unpack it a little bit. 
Um, verse 7, you don't have the authority. Lean into the one who has authority, right? And then verse 8, and again, this is, a, this is an instruction issued to Peter and the disciples. When I give you the Holy Spirit, and again, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is God. It's a, the, it's a person. And so he gives us the person of the Holy Spirit to walk with us, to fill us afresh so that we can walk out in his destiny in order to what? Right. The Holy Spirit and power, the word dunamis, so it's dynamic, the, the power that God has given us. And it's not just in the sense of, you know, like so, some preachers talk about, you know, it's dunamis, which means that it's, it's dynamite. Uh, Firstly, dynamite came after Jesus, so it wasn't necessarily that Jesus was talking about, y'all going to blow this thing up. No, he was talking about just the dynamicism of the way that this power is going to come upon you from uh, and through the Holy Spirit. But check this out. He says, there's a purpose to the Holy Spirit coming upon you. To what? To be his witnesses. What does it mean to be his witnesses? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Now, check out these locations uh, in Jerusalem, speaking of the city or the area, the surrounding area. So you all are there in that specific area of Brisbane. I'm Brisbane. No, I'm in Brisbane. Sorry, I'm going to leave that there. Full of mistakes, flaws and all. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> You're in Melbourne. I'm in Brisbane. So your specific area of Melbourne, right, where you guys are um, out there in uh, in, in that part of Melbourne, that's your Jerusalem. That's the area that God has called you to be a witness to. Now, again, we'll talk about witness in just a moment. So just hold hold on there. Jerusalem, Judea, which is the surrounding region. So that can be anything from Melbourne itself, because Melbourne is a huge, great, sprawling city. Or it could be the whole state of Victoria. But whatever it is, God has called you to be a witness there. So you've got your immediate surroundings. Then you've got the, the greater area. Thirdly, and this is important too, he wants you to be a witness in Samaria. What up with Samaria? What's up with Samaria? See, Samaria is significant because the Samaritans, the, the people of the land of Samaria, the, of that particular region, were frowned upon by those who are of Jewish descent. And the reason being is because although they were from the same lineage, they would be, you know, deemed as not fully Jewish. Uh, part of it was because of birth and so forth, but a lot of it happened during the exile that took place about 700 years before Christ. For those of you who may not know, uh, the Israelites and those who lived in Judah were taken into exile in Assyria and Babylon. Uh, and as they were taken into those lands, there was the remnant of Israel who remained faithful to Yahweh, to God, to our God, right? But then there were those who were of a, uh, they, they were generally poorer and they were of specific tribes. And as they went into exile, what ended up happening was there was a lot of um, the worship of Babylonian and Assyrian gods and the kind of the bowing of the knee. So when they would return back to Israel and to Judah, uh, what ended up happening was, was that they no longer necessarily worshipped or were welcome to worship the Jewish God because for that period of time they had compromised in their faith. So there was kind of a, 
an outcast nature to the Samaritans, to those who are from Samaria, which is why, you know, for those of you who've grown up in church, you'll be familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, where it is a Samaritan who helps the man who was broken along the road and not the Levite or the priest, the professional men of God. It's actually a Levite uh, who, who walks on the other side of the road. It's actually a a, a priest who walks on the other side of Rome, not helping out the man who is broken down, who is uh, beaten and left for dead. It's the Samaritan who comes along and helps him out. So Jesus has something in it for the Samaritans, right? John chapter 4, we read about Jesus encountering a Samaritan woman who's out there at a time when women generally in that point of culture were not supposed to come uh, to the well, but she was so uh, outcast that she came at that time that she wasn't supposed to necessarily come out due to their culture, but Jesus met her there as an outcast. And so when Jesus gives his final instruction, can you imagine the disciples, including Peter, including Peter? Okay, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. That's exciting and power. Yes, Lord, to be my witnesses, I'll be your witness, Lord. In Jerusalem, yeah, I can do that. Judea, all right, all right. Greater area, yeah, we can do that. And Samaria, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's up with Samaria? And then to the ends of the earth, and then Jesus is leaving. Whoa. Hey, where are you going? What? I wanted to clarify that Samaria thing. Can you come back down here and just like read the fine, the, the fine print? I didn't catch the Samaria part. <laughs> Jesus has a heart for our Samaria, your Samaria. There is an other side of the road that God wants to call you to. Maybe he's unearthing certain areas of your life where maybe there have been prejudices. Maybe there have been certain areas where you haven't been able to cross over and, and minister effectively to. Because what can often happen is we get caught in a bubble of just ministering to people that look like us that have the same sort of economic status as us, that live in the same areas as us within our city. Jesus is clear to those disciples that his Holy Spirit and power exists to be a witness. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't exist just to be a witness, but the Holy Spirit's power exists in those disciples, and dare I say, these disciples, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. We literally live in Australia, right? On the east coast of Australia. I mean, you go any further away from Israel, you end up where I grew up, in New Zealand. But this is about as far as you can get from where this commandment was given to the disciples. This commission from Acts. So we're living out in it. That, that this gospel has reached the ends of the earth. But what kind of gospel, right? If God's heart was always for the other side of the, wor the world or the other side of the earth, how about our heart for the other side of our street? Whether you know it or not, we live in a culture that God has called us to impact by being his witnesses. Now let me unpack this, this word witness. This word witness in the Greek is the word matir, which is where we get the word martyr from. See, to witness something doesn't mean you just have to have seen it, but you need to be willing to testify to the point of death for, 
for that truth of what you have seen. And these disciples, inevitably, apart from the Apostle John, where we don't read about how he died, with, or whether he died of old age or by natural causes, all the other apostles and disciples have been recorded as dying martyrs' deaths. Now, does that mean that all of us that are watching this video, including myself, are going to die martyrs' deaths? Not, not necessarily. But there is a resilience that God is calling us to, to walk out in, to have the sort of faith where we were able to walk out as God's witnesses in an effective manner. Now, to highlight this, I wanted to just break down uh, something that uh, I've been studying a, a little bit on uh, from a book called Faith for Exiles, which I really want to encourage you, if you get the chance to read, it, it will definitely help you during this time. And so Faith for Exiles is written by two men, uh, David Kinnaman, who's the 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 president of Barna Group, which is the top Christian research uh, group. Uh, and so they're, they're the top in, in terms of gathering statistics and so forth uh, for missional organizations and for just basically the, the trends of the church and God's mission around the world. So it was David Kinnaman and a, and a renowned youth minister by the name of Mark Matlock who write this book. And uh, what they're trying to write within the book, what they try to achieve, and they do it quite well, is how to be resilient disciples amidst a digital Babylon of which we reside in right now. By digital Babylon, what they refer to is the opportunities that we have, particularly in the West, to see a generation that are discipled more by screens than they are by actual face-to-face -face communication and relationship. And so what's listed here, and it's interesting yet quite um, scary, dare I say, to see that only one out of ten people who call themselves a churchgoer are actually what we would call resilient disciples. Now, what are the qualities of a resilient disciple? A resilient disciple is somebody who attends church regularly and plays an active part in the church. Number two, they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and how it has changed and transformed their lives uh, from the inside out, meaning they're forgiven and they believe that God, and thirdly, God um, has written his word and they believe the word to be the uh, written under the authority of God, the authoritative word of God. And then lastly, which is really interesting too, is that they believe that God is calling them to live their Christianity out, Christianity out from Monday to Saturday. Now that might sound like normal Christianity to you, but this, this survey was done extensively for people aged between 18 to 29 in Western nations. And only 10%, one in every 10, was a resilient disciple. The rest of them fell into categories like habitual church goal, which was somewhere just over 30% of believers who attend church around once a month or less, but aren't actively involved in church. And then you have uh, the nomads and the ex-Christians who make up the remainder. Uh, Ex-Christians are, are those who maybe grew up in the faith, but walked away from it. And the nomads who are non-committal. Um, and so, so this is what we find in today's society, that a lot of people may claim Christianity or claim to be churchgoers, but only one out of ten of those people 
actually walk as resilient disciples, i.e. martyrs or witnesses. Now, Kinnaman goes on to break down these five areas, and I wanted to kind of highlight them in the way that um, you would see from Peter's life and the other disciples' lives, and hopefully this helps you in your plight, because God's called every single one of us to be a resilient disciple. Can I get an amen from somebody who's watching this? All right. So let me break this down. There are five qualities of a resilient disciple. Five qualities. So the first quality that you want to see in a resilient disciple is one who experiences Jesus. One who experiences Jesus. One of the things that is so necessary is that no matter what generation you are a part of, that you experience deep intimacy with God and that we disciple all our families to experience intimacy with God whether it's in worship to God. I actually prophesy this as well, FGA, that your worship ministry will write new songs that will enable households of faith to be able to sing praises within that environment that will echo into homes. If there was ever a time we needed more worship liturgy in the homes that catered more for homes than stadiums, I really believe that time is now. And I think that FGA, all of your musicians, especially your youth musicians, I sense that God's doing something there. There's a new sound that God is wanting to breathe life out of through your church. Experiencing Jesus is so vital in this hour. Worship the word of God, teaching and discipling our young people to know the importance of knowing and memorizing and exegeting the word of God. Knowing the word of God in its context, not just on refrigerator magnets, but knowing the context of these scriptures and these promises that God gives us. We become lazy, right? Because we have so much information available to us, but sometimes the distraction of this information forms a wall somewhat that doesn't enable us to enter into new depths in our intimacy with God. So worship, the word, and obviously prayer. The objective of prayer is to commune with him, not just to communicate, but to be with him. This is what is vital. This is what is important. So this is the first thing. We must experience Jesus. You see, Peter often put his foot in his mouth because he would often find himself trying to appease Jesus with his words or performance. Just fleshly emotional reactions. Yeah, God, I'll be there for you. I'll be with you. What what rooster crowing? What are you talking about? No, no, I'm with you to the bitter end. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Jesus dies alone. And Peter is nowhere to be seen. It's when Jesus experiences God and experiences the Holy Spirit, that he is empowered. When you look at the book of Acts and you look at chapter 2 in particular, where there is a fire that falls upon the disciples. There's like tongues of fire, right? And they begin to speak in other languages. And then Peter, under this power, again, becomes a witness and preaches from the book of Joel. He preaches from the book of Joel. And 3,000 people, Mr. Foot and Mouth Disease, 3,000 people come to know the saving grace of Jesus 
through him preaching from Joel. When's the last time you heard a message from the book of Joel apart from the same passage that Peter preaches from? That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. In chapter 3, we see him at this gate called Beautiful. And he's out there with James and he's healing people. This is what happens. This is the power of what happens when you experience Jesus. See, it's one thing to be within proximity to Jesus. It's another thing to experience him. And God wants you to experience him. Every time you crack open the Bible, you experience him. You don't just read it as if your quiet time is transactional rather than transformational. God wants to transform you, FGA. God wants to transform you as you meet with him in prayer and reading his word. And as you read his word, the second point here that Kinnaman and Matlock bring up is that resilient disciples are also, they exercise the, the discipline, I should say, of cultural discernment. So use your scripture reading as a lens as to how you interpret the culture. You don't let the culture, uh, the culture determine your theology. You allow your theology and your reading of the Bible and your biblical worldview to dictate how you approach the culture. And let me emphasize the words approach the culture, because a lot of times as Christians, we find ourselves disengaging or distancing ourselves from the culture. Dare I say the Samaria that God has called us to engage in. God wants us to have cultural discernment. God wants us to be able to understand the language of the day. And this is the reason why it's called a digital exile rather than digital slavery is that we are all entrapped in this world that we are in and not of necessarily. But we also hold positions of power like da uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were in exile but still held office in some of the most powerful positions because they were anointed to do so. And you're anointed to do so as you discern the culture that God's called you to impact. And we live in a society right now that gathers its truth from headlines and you get to speak your truth. How many of you know that if my truth is different from your truth, it completely obliterates one of our truths, dare I say, maybe even both of them, because only one truth can be truth. If I said to you that in the refrigerator right there in Melbourne, in your, in your church office, there is a can of Coke, no sugar, right? And then you said to me, there is no can and there is no refrigerator uh, in our office, so, Pastor Nelly, you have no idea what you're talking about. And you're in Brisbane, so how can you speak to that? All we have to do is go down to the FGA office, look in the spot where the refrigerator is supposedly be. It doesn't matter how much I speak my truth. The truth is there. It can be seen. And this is what we need. If, if Christ is to be seen and to be witnessed... In our society, it's going to take you and I to be the ones who are like the refrigerators with the coconut sugar can inside of us. No, I'm not talking about us being that. But I'm talking about us being living, breathing examples of Christ being alive today. Despite coronavirus, despite whatever economic uncertainties there are, despite racial injustice. God wants us to be those witnesses. Willing to lay our lives down. 
willing to discern the culture that God's called us to be in and be the salt and the light in those situations. So that's secondly. Thirdly, this is the one I love the most, to be honest, is that in light of the time that we live in, which breeds isolation and mistrust, God is calling us to meaningful relationships. I often tell uh, the guys that I disciple that I have the opportunity to mentor that you can tell a person's future by the relationships that are closest to them. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Right? For you who are single and maybe you're considering somebody because, you know, they got that look and maybe they're saved. You know, saved. But I want to encourage you, like, look at them through the light of relationships. How do they relate to one another? If they're a guy, right? How are their relationships with the guys around them? Are those guys that they surround themselves with, are they growing in God? Right? Same thing with you sisters as well. We should be looking to build and breed great, meaningful relationships. And this is what Peter did. Peter did have James and John. He had his inner circle. He had his brothers. And they walked together throughout the whole book of Acts. Even in Peter's own writings, you see him greeting other members of the body of Christ that are active in their faith during that time. Because it's important that we walk in meaningful relationships in order to see the kingdom of God advance. If you don't walk in meaningful relationships, what ends up happening is that you build your own empire rather than the kingdom of God. Meaningful relationships. Relationships where it's all about giving. It's reciprocal. And God exemplifies this relationship by enabling us to walk in it himself, right? So the fourth point is that resilient disciples, they enter into vocational discipleship. What I mean by vocational discipleship? Well, let me break down what vocation is, okay? Because some of you, you might think that vocation has to do with your job. It does a little bit, but there is a difference between vocation and occupation. See, an occupation is that which occupies your time in order that you might gain resource. Um, it's a job. Whereas a vocation, if you look at the ancient word vocation or where vocation comes from, it's around your calling. And there's a difference. There's a difference. Like you can have a number of jobs, but one vocation. Like there is a specific vocation that God has called you to, to build the kingdom of God. So what is that vocation that God is calling you to? This needs to be the question that we ask, not just of ourselves, but as we disciple the next generation, as we mentor them, we need to be looking out for what might be their vocation. To describe vocation, we may use words like build, like teach, like love like guide, like empower, all of these sorts of things, right? Rebuild, create. When I uh, prayed with my wife, when we first got married um, in, uh, in 2006, yeah, when we got married, I remember sitting down with my wife. My wife is a, is a corporate consultant by trade now, I'm pastoring alongside me, but 
I remember sitting down with her and she's all about, you know, like helping companies find their, uh, their core values, their, their vision and, and so forth at that time. And I remember sitting down with her, so corporate, and she was sitting down with me and say, okay, we need to find what the vision is for God, our, our marriage. I'm a, I was a Kiwi, I'm a, I'm a creative, I was like, vision, what's all this stuff about vision? Are you trying to start our, our marriage off as a corporation of some sort? But it was one of the most helpful things to do was to pray and fast and seek God as to what might be the vision statement for our marriage. And the vision statement we came up with under the guidance of the Holy Spirit was that Tina and I were called to create environments where people encounter the presence of God. And so anything that we do, whether it's opening up our home to welcome people in for a meal, or whether it's meeting with a friend at a coffee place uh, to drink coffee. I know you in Melbourne there have great coffee hopefully you are able to get that coffee uh in situations where you're able to meet together i don't know what the situation is right now but like if not now eventually that you use that as an environment to create um created so that people can encounter the presence of god this is the vocation of the atinga household to create environments where people encounter the presence of god so anything that we do, see, I might say, hey, I'm a pastor or I'm a musician. And I, am, I, I do do both. Those are part of my job. But the vocation is different in terms of I know the filter of which I use these tools or this job that I get to do. So hopefully that makes sense. Vocational discipleship. And then mentoring those who are coming behind you to be able to grow in these areas. Or finding mentors that can help you to grow. I'm blessed with so many mentors that I meet with, um, thank God for Zoom, right? Uh, around the world that speak into my life as a man, as a pastor, as a musician, as a songwriter, as all of these different things that God has given me to, uh, to execute on my way to fulfilling the vocation he's called me to. So that's vocational discipleship. And then lastly, God has called us to cross-cultural and counter-cultural mission. Let me talk about this a little bit. Cross-cultural meaning that he's called us to cross cultures indeed, not just stick to our own culture, but then also counter-cultural mission because we live in a society that has a mission that may be completely against or not in line with what we believe as followers of Jesus. Now, I know you can think of many examples, but it's how we approach these things. How do you approach these things? Do we let politics dictate the way that we ex execute our uh, counter-cultural mission? Or do we let the Holy Spirit and His Word dictate the way that we approach politics or we approach uh, our views and opinions in certain matters that are happening within the culture around us. Not only that, God has called us to walk amongst people who may not necessarily hold the same views as us and this is our proverbial Samaria. It was also Peter, I'm reminded, in the book of Acts, right, where he saw a blanket descend and there were animals with hooves, those animals that were deemed kind of unworthy for them to eat. And he heard the voice of the Lord say, get up and eat. 
will we let our religion and I'm talking about religion in terms of ritualism that's not necessarily breathed upon by experiencing Jesus, but through religious practices that don't necessarily line up with God's heart and God's word and God's spirit. Will we let them distance ourselves from the mission that God still has us on during this time of COVID-19? Just because we are in a situation of quarantine and COVID-19 and being isolated from people, at least um, socially distancing ourselves from people, social distance does not mean relational distance. It does not mean missional distance. In fact, it causes us to use different parameters and different methods to continue on the mission that God has called each one of us to. But if we don't know the mission that God's called us to, which is to see the lost one to Christ, to see those who have lost and been lost be found in the presence of God and walk out on the destiny and purpose that God has for them. If we're not on this mission, even during this time, we miss completely what it means to be a resilient disciple. If you ever wanted to know what resilience looks like, it's in a time like this, staying firm in God's mission, knowing that God, again, who has all authority, promises us his presence and his power to be his witnesses in Box Hill, in Melbourne, in Victoria, in Queensland, in Australia, and to the ends of the world. But it's going to take our hearts being broken it's going to take our hearts being broken for those who don't look like us. Those who are far from us. Those who may not hold the same opinions and political values as we do. God is doing a work in your heart right now. And he hasn't stopped his mission. And you might think, well, okay, look, mission means that I have to save up for a plane ticket to go somewhere else. Look, that's changed. If you haven't noticed but you have a next door neighbor. You have a number of next door neighbors that are anxious right now. And they're not holding to the same belief system as you do. But you have the gospel. And like Peter, God is filling you with his power and his Holy Spirit to testify and to be his witness so that they might see the glory of God in their lives. And come to life themselves. So I'm going to pray for you right now. And I want to pray that the Holy Spirit. Continue. To illuminate in you. Just what he desires to speak. And how he desires to bring you to life today. That you might be his witness. In this uncertain time. That God himself is certain. Let's pray. God thank you so much for everybody who's watching this. Lord that they would be encouraged. Lord God and find themselves. Um in a place where they understand that you are still on mission, that you still are faithful to complete that which you have started. God, I pray for those who are watching this, that may have experienced loss, that they would find room to grieve during this time, whether it's the loss of loved ones' lives, the loss of jobs and income, the loss of uh, just a, I just said some of you have been in a spiritual vertigo, or an emotional vertigo where you don't know north from south or left from right. And God is reassuring you, I'm with you. Just hold on to my hand. Despite this time of uncertainty, I'm with you. Bring your anxieties, cast them to me. 
as I care for you. God has given you, a, you space to grieve even in this time. I sense God also wanting us to take a position of gratitude for the things that he continues to hold us in. Some of you still have jobs. Some of you still have your loved ones. Some of you still have your businesses. And God wants you to be uh, grateful and show gratitude. So if grief is for those who have lost, gratitude is for those who still have. And then even to recognize the gifts of those who have been granted new things, new business opportunities, new entrepreneurial ideas, new innovations, Lord God. Father, I thank you that you're doing this amidst this time. We have things to grieve for. We have things to be grateful for. But we also have things that have been gifts during this time of uncertainty. And we recognize that you've done, you've done this for us. So Lord, be with my friends. Lord, we lift up the great city of Melbourne. We, I lift up Full Gospel Assembly right there in Melbourne. Lord God, that during this time you would raise up a generation. Raise up a people raise up a community of believers who are resilient disciples in this hour from the fga house lord god more than just the organization lord i thank you lord that you're calling those who are destitute and far from you back home and i count it an honor to walk alongside my fga family god bless them in jesus name amen amen thank you once again for letting me come and encourage you around the word of god today Please do let me know if uh, there's any way that we can be praying for you here in Brisbane. And uh, should these uh, border restrictions lift again, I can't wait to see you either there or here. Just know you're always welcome here. And I'll find my way. <laughs> I'm inviting myself there. God bless you. Grace and peace, everybody.